It is Thursday afternoon, everyone. I'm Andrew Dowd with Saunders & Associates, and it is time for the Happening in the Hamptons podcast, our weekly breakdown of the Hamptons market, new listings, and events on the East End. Joined today by Steve Glick, our Senior Vice President of Advertising and Marketing, Dave Retiner, Vice President of Digital Marketing and Technology, and today, Michael Burns, one of the premier builders out here in the Hamptons. Michael, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. It's, it's a beautiful day. There's nothing to complain about today. Um, let's talk a little bit about construction. Okay, so obviously over the last year we've seen a lot of new development, uh, renovations, a lot going on out in the Hamptons, and you deal with a lot of that. So let's say somebody comes to you and they say, look, Mike, it's time for me to build my Hamptons dream home. That could probably be an overwhelming process. So where do they start? What do they need to know? Well, if they uh, commit to me, uh, what I do is I help them find the architect, uh, try and figure out the style of house they want, and then uh, help them through the entire paperwork permitting process. And then we start the house. Start to finish, what's, what's the time frame you think at this point? You know, permitting is a little bit slow because uh, it's just the natural nature of it and it's gotten a little bit worse because of the volume of permits. But I'd say to be safe, you can do it faster, but 18 months. Okay. 18 Six months, months of, uh, no, say, Four months of plans and getting permits, and then uh, 10 to 14 months of construction. Wow. Wow. So once you get it going, you can really you can knock that's it out in quick. a year. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, quick. Yeah. That's not bad. And you're local, right? You you live out here full-time. You're local. You have all the connections, and that's that's certainly helpful when you're, when you're trying to build and work with the towns and get the permitting and meeting people out on the site. Yes. Uh, you know... Being a, uh, a local resident now, after being a builder here for 20 years, has created that dynamic, which is really uh, a big plus. Mm -hmm. The uh, building inspectors know me, uh, the uh, people in the towns know me, and they know that I really try to stay within the guidelines. Uh, number one, I've had enough uh, education about what to do and what not to do. And I also understand that the more you stay within the guidelines, the better for the homeowner, the better for me as a builder, and the better for the town so that you can expedite uh, production and limit the headache of, uh, of anything that's outside the normal parameters. So listen, about when it comes to construction, though, I mean, this year was kind of, you know, the, the pandemic slowed everything down. I mean, we saw that lumber costs went sky high, right? So where do things stand right now as far as cost of constructions and how the pandemic, even though you know we're coming out on the other side of that, um, how is that still impacting construction if somebody wants to build new or renovate now? Well, the first thing to understand is that the pandemic caused such a surge in purchasing. Uh, everybody was fleeing these high density areas that specifically with the Hamptons, uh, a lot of the inventory that was out there was absorbed. Now, everybody always says to me, oh, there's no more land in the Hamptons. But what they don't understand is that, A, there is plenty of vacant land, and B, there are a lot of older houses that, you yeah, know, definitely. life of a house is like, a, sadly and happily, like the life of a human. It has an arc beginning to end, Many, look, there are some houses that still stand 100 years, mm -hmm. 200 years, but by and large, most houses have a 20 to 30 year lifespan, 
And really, that's it. Yeah, years? maybe more. Before you're talking like significant renovations, I guess. <laughs> yes. Is what you're saying, you know, like yeah. the, okay. The, okay. Right. It's not going to fall down. In and years. so yeah. what happens is that when Don't people. Don't scare me, Michael. Well, no, because here's <laughs> what happens. Well, look, <laughs> gentlemen, here's what you need to understand. That let's say you buy a house already built on a piece of property. Mm-hmm. And just for argument's sake, let's say it's $2 million today. In 20 years from now, the land alone will be worth $2 million, right. not house and land. Mm-hmm. So at that point, that when, a person, sense. Yeah. when a person goes to buy that piece of property, they have two choices. A, they say, oh, I love the house, I'm going to renovate it. Or B, the seller, because the, the market value has eclipsed the value of the house and the land, and now the land value is there. Whatever, they, whatever the seller asks will give the new buyer the opportunity to rip it down and do what they want or renovate it because they are now dealing at a land value uh, cost basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's never a shortage of land in the Hamptons. There's always a continuing supply. The problem with the pandemic was that all of the prime real estate was snapped up in one massive surge. And even though there were new and there are new houses always being built, I had two houses under construction during that time period. Uh, It doesn't mean that it completely filled the gap. And it also, because of the slowdown in materials and the ability to produce houses, caused uh, a backlog. So it has not gone away. I don't know why I find this so fascinating, but I would love to know your take on lumber and how all of that yeah i was just going to say yeah, let's talk like about that lumber. is so Where? interesting like how did that was lumber such a big news so expensive yeah. what happened yeah. so okay it's a very simple sadly story of supply and demand <laughs> when the factories are producing lumber on a daily weekly 24-hour shift which they are mm-hmm. the place price fluctuation is always driven by supply and demand, but it becomes relative to what the real cost of cutting the trees, and they're all farmed, you know, we're not raping the land. Right. They actually have thousand and hundred thousand it's acre a, it's tree farms. a renewable resource. It's, yes, you know, it is. When, when done correctly, it's like a really right. good And that's the way most lumber, if not all the lumber in this country now is harvested. But suddenly, there is a supply in the factory, but the labor stops, the factory shuts. All of that material begins to flow into the market without a replenishment. Suddenly, the demand, which has diminished but hasn't gone away, starts to cause prices to go up because when the lumber mill says, well, I only have you know, 50,000 two by fours, and the guy in Nevada wants me to ship a mare at 80 cents a linear foot, but I can buy, I'm willing to buy it at 83 cents a linear foot. Suddenly, you start to see this game of who can afford to pay more and become first in line. Hmm. And this was going on nationally. This wasn't just no, obviously, oh, I mean, there's a lot nationally. of stuff happening in the Hamptons, a lot of construction, but I mean, nationwide, we saw that the housing 
market started to spike. Yeah. Yes. So where are we at? Where are we at now with the lumber? Like what? What we, I you know there was reports that hey the lumber's coming back down, but is it coming back down to normal or is it just coming off? Well, normal the high? unfortunately now is a very fluid word. <laughs> what what was normal and what is normal now? Uh, yeah. Two years ago, normal or say two twenty four. Let's say thirty months ago to twenty four months ago. Lumber was what they call uh, per thousand board feet. It was three hundred and fifty dollars per thousand board feet. At the height of the panic about owning and purchasing lumber, so you could move forward, it spiked up to fifteen hundred. Wow! Fifteen hundred dollars a thousand board, board feet. Almost five times. Five times. Yeah. Five times. Wow. Five yeah. times what a Yikes. real number should be. So think about that across the so board. The, so are you saying, so just so I understand, if you wanted to build a house in the Hamptons, you were paying five times the cost of lumber? For the, on the lumber portion? On the lumber, yeah. Absolutely. Lumber or let's say there was a backlog. Well, no, because what happens is it goes from the uh, forest to the initial cutting factory to the lumber warehouser and then it starts getting distributed. So there's a lot of pieces in there, and there has to be profit. The country is based on, you know, uh, free enterprise. So what happens is uh, that the cost does begin to rise, but the end sellers, in order to move product, have to start shrinking their margins. So there is a very complex, even though it's simple in its overall picture, a complex a uh, set of uh, things that go into motion, but nevertheless, the price rises. So on lumber, that piece could cost you 15% or 20% more of that piece on your house. So if your lumber bill was $40,000, it's now $50,000. Right. Just like that, a 20 to 30% And where increase. is it at now? Has it calmed out? Well, the price of lumber is coming back down because the mills are coming back Right. But it's certainly not back to 300. It's uh, yeah. it's far like, away. Yeah. 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 Back to work, so good to go. Right. So does uh, it make any sense to build a, like a brick house or like a concrete structure or anything? Still, well, yeah. Does you that know, make sense? No, because all of those industries also had a slowdown in manpower. Right. So the entire yeah. nation had this. Uh, absorption of materials. It's all still got to be produced in some capacity. Without replenishment. Steel mills are just like the lumber mills. They shut. They're not making steel beams. They're not making... Spooky, man. It's like well, spooky. it's a very... You know, that's why it was such a critical uh, period in the evolution of our country. Let's talk about some fun things. You're building houses... You know, what are people now looking for in a layout? Like, if someone comes to you, are they, like, is a Zoom room a thing? An office room? Is that, like, a necessity now when you're looking at a floor plan? Well, I would say I wouldn't necessarily call it a Zoom room, yeah. but... Is that a thing? Is that what I've never sure. heard of that word before. I've well, never heard that it's before. an office. It makes a lot of sense. A Zoom room. I like that. I think Steve just made that word up. <laughs> no, it, it well. That seems like it, that would have come along during the pandemic. My mega mansion, I'm going to have a Zoom room. <laughs> Zoom room. That is Steve's office. <laughs> Other people's office is their home office. Yeah. And yes, there is a very big trend toward doing that because even as the world goes back to whatever we think normal is going to be, it's going to be a new normal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are going to begin to uh, work 
partially from home. A lot more people are going to work permanently from home. And so um, nice offices that don't feel like you're in, in the some base, the temporary yeah. closet. A real, a real space. A real space. Nice. And first floor master bedrooms, a must? You know, I have always felt that that is a very, very important piece of the houses. Almost every house that I build, I mean, almost straight across the board, I try and put a first floor master. The one way which you can avoid it, but obviously if you're building a big enough house, even though if you put an elevator in, you don't necessarily need a first floor master, uh, if you're building a house big uh, enough for an elevator, you probably you probably have, a house. have the first floor. Yeah, that's that's right. What about tell us about tennis? We always hear about tennis. You got to have tennis if you can if you can have tennis on the property. Do the tennis. Does it add the value? Should they do tennis? Well, look. If you want to create your own private uh, sleepaway camp yeah. <laughs> for your friends and family, mm -hmm. the more toys, the better. Mm -hmm. But don't think that there isn't a, you know, a, an ongoing cost about this stuff. A tennis court is a huge uh, upside item on usage and sale. And there's a maintenance. There's a huge but maintenance. if you have a hard true court, which is essentially a clay court, yeah. you have yearly and monthly and daily maintenance Oof. when you're using the court. So... You better be prepared. Mm -hmm. Is it cheaper to own the court or join the tennis club? Right. I hear you. Just get a basketball court. And also, you know, the, the, <laughs> the well, the there's one other uh, issue with that, and simply this. Land and the town's uh, zoning rules are very, very protective of the overall population. So the setback requirements and the size of lots that you can put tennis on has to be pretty big. It's a rare day that you won't find uh, that the minimum lot size is an acre and a half to two acres. You just can't cram a beautiful house and a pool and, and a tennis court on an acre. It's very difficult. So out of all the properties you've been building years past and now, what is the craziest amenity a request came through that somebody wanted in their house? Uh, well, I actually didn't build it, but I know that somebody had a uh, half a million dollar outdoor movie theater. Outdoor movie wow. theater. Wow. Yeah, like so a drive-in kind of thing? Or like, uh, like well, not a drive-in. No, not a drive-in. It was a, a screen that was uh, almost like a movie theater screen that could actually stow away. So when you weren't uh -huh. watching it... So like it rises was, up on yeah. the ground or something yeah. like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got to have it all. That's got to have it. And here's one other one that I'm in the midst of uh, doing right now. Um, I built a spec house for someone, the gentleman sold it, and the new buyer is an avid car collector, and he's putting two three-car lifts in the garage. Mm -hmm. And he's adding a much mm -hmm. more sophisticated heating and air conditioning system yeah. to it. It makes sense. That, that's a car. That would, that, would be, that's cool. that would be my garage. My yeah. garage can be bigger than the house. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm there. I can do that. We'll talk you. about that someday. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait. Wait till the lumber prices come down. Um, Try, you know, it's fun when you can just like, what was it in Wayne's World where he's like, you ever see that movie Wayne's World where he's yeah. imagining, he's talking about when he's like super rich and he's like, he's like, I'll just be swimming in a pool of jello. 
Hey, I'm, I'm like, looking for that. Where's somebody's <laughs> out there doing that. The cave, yeah. the bat cave, yeah. or a nice skating rink. You know, it's crazy things. Well, like some that. of these lower levels in these houses we've been to, I mean, they have like every pool, like a billiard yeah. room to yeah. pool. We're seeing pools now in the bowling lower alleys. Levels. Like that's like a bowling normal. alleys. Yeah, bowling <laughs> is a new thing. There's, there's, there are houses out here that are big enough where they have full court basketball court, full court racquetball court in the lower level. In the lower level. Love that. Bowling alleys. One that's house cool. actually has a half pipe that their kids can skateboard practice yeah. on. Yeah, that's cool what too. ceiling height do you need for like? I mean, what's what's when somebody's like, I, I want to build, you know, a nice lower level. Are they like eight, twelve, no, 15? 10, 11, 12 is the new norm because of the twelve, <laughs> you want to be able to if you really want to yeah, like, trick it out. You want to drop down the ceiling and hide all of the mechanical equipment. So you're going to lose a foot or two, so you still remain with a 10-foot or 9-foot ceiling. Wow. How deep can you go in the basement? Is you go pretty limit? deep. There's no limit. Well, the, the water table, depending water on where tables. you are, is the most limiting factor. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some towns that will refuse to let you dig down and put those amazing amenities in the basement. Don't ask why, right. uh, because it doesn't affect the outside. Yeah. Uh, or your neighbors, but they say, sorry, we're not letting you do that. Got it. Hmm. Interesting. So construction aside, let's talk about the market. Yeah. Steve, what do you got as far as numbers? Numbers looking looking good this week. Over the past week, there were 35 listings that went into contract from West Hampton to Montauk. But if you compare it to last year, there was 84. So you're looking at a decrease of 58%. However, you know, I'm going back to 2019 because you know it's hard to compare these numbers to 2020 due to the pandemic and the and the immediate rush to buy houses. So if you look back to 2019, there were 13 properties that went into contract. So only 13, right? Yeah. So we're up 169 percent from 2019. Time but March is down up, from 2020. Yeah. So you know June is slow. July's but you know it picks up July and August. You know June is always slow. Everyone comes out here. They settle down, they're enjoying the summer. Yeah. And as the summer slowly Amped comes up, to an end, yeah. then then the market rises up again. So we're gonna see that, you know, towards the end of July and into August, we'll see a, a slow rise in September, October. It should be um, should be rocking again. Um, the breakdown of the 35 transactions this week, there was one between 10 and 20 million, one between six and eight million, one between four and six million, 10 between two and four million, and 22 listings under $2 million went into contract. Looking at the inventory, there were 38 new listings that came onto market. So that increases our inventory by three listings. So it's still pretty much flat. I mean, I, I don't call three as this, you know, huge number of the inventory going through the roof. It, it remains flat. Um, the 38 new listings that came onto the market, there were three new listings over 20 million, three between 10 and 20 million, three between eight and 10 million, three between six and 8 million, three between four and 6 million, a lot of threes. Uh, seven between two and four million, and sixteen new properties came onto the market under two million dollars this week. Cool. From the construction side of things, do you see that things kind of taper off or like level out a little bit during June, July, August, and then pick back up again, or is it just kind of a twelve months out of the year we're going? Well, are you talking about construction or sales or uh, both? I mean, like the request to to build. You know, I mean, like a lot, like we say, a lot of people come out here, they want to enjoy the summer, and then the fall rolls around, they start thinking about next year and what they want to do to change the house. Well, the request is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. People never stop. 
And that means they will call you at 10 o'clock at night if they have a question. <laughs> we, were, we were getting ready for the podcast, and you had, what, four phone calls going at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So, so, so a lot of that, moving parts. Yeah. House. I mean, there's so many moving parts. But so the answer is so much that generally what happens is, as I said, there's always conversation. But the push to get in for the summer happens from January till Memorial Day. Right. Then there's still a slight fluctuation, but it begins to taper. Rentals, the same thing, people want to be in. Uh, but that, uh, in spite of the fact that it does slow, because look, uh, the people that are uh, wanting to rent either for the summer or from, say, Memorial Day to the end of July, those people are all in. And a lot of the people who do want to rent August do rent but many wait until they solidify their plans and they don't actually start really pushing hard until the end of June and the beginning of July for August. So there is a small gap in the rental and the sale situation because not that people are exhausted, it's just that people's focus goes away from the purchase and the, the hectic nature of what's involved with uh, renting and building to, okay, I have to, I have the time now, this is what it's about, and I'm gonna enjoy my time. But, you know, as I said, it's always about conversation. People virtually in the Hamptons never, ever stop talking about real estate. It's the number one conversation (laughs) everywhere. We have a podcast. Every Thursday we talk about real estate for 20 minutes. You're not alone. so, all right, so let's say people have, have taken a break from talking real estate and they want to just do something. Dave, where are they going? Yep, it's time for happening in the Hamptons. I'm going to tell you what's going on this weekend. So, my first pick is Guild Hall's Working It Outside comedy show. <laughs> and this is going to be with Mike Berbiglia. Nice. I don't know if you've ever seen this comedian, but he's very funny. Um, that's Friday, July 9th, and Saturday, Saturday July 10th, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Guild Hall in East Hampton. So, that's cool if you're a big fan of comedy. My second pick is the 2021 Concerts in the Park series are continuing on, and this Wednesday, July 14th, the band South Bound Country Band will be playing live on a big stage at Cooper's Beach at 6.30 p.m. Woohoo! It's Sa- back! Saunders sponsors it. It's awesome. I'm sure you've been there. Have you ever been I, to one of those I concerts? have. It's yeah. fantastic. You can go down there. You can get some uh, Saunders gear. We'll give you a hat or whatever you want. It's beautiful. Con- the big, big stage right at Cooper's Beach. It's at Cooper's Beach. Normally, it's at Aguan Park, but every once in a while, they do a couple at Cooper's Beach. Yeah, it's so much It's so much yeah. fun at the beach. It's so, awesome. ma- it's so nice at the beach. And then... Bistro Ette. Ette? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, sir. Okay. Bistro Ette in Watermill, which is sort of this hidden restaurant, mm. kind of by where Soul Cycle is and that little complex area there. Yep. It's a very, very cool little French restaurant. And on Sunday, July 11th, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., uh, they are going to have a book signing and dinner at the restaurant. And Lay you gotta excuse my pronunciation. Lay Cordon Bleu train chef and restaurant tour, Ari Pavlo, uh, is going to be presenting a Sag Harbor cookbook author oh. with by Stacy Dermont in the back of Bistro Ette, and you can get 
a signed book by Stacy DeMont and enjoy a really nice dinner. Um, I've had dinner before, there before, and it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> Just uh, make sure to bring your wallet with you when you go because it's, uh, it's a fancy place, but it's very, very good. Um, and that's what's going on. That's what's happening in the Hamptons. Nice. Good deal. Well, thank you guys. Michael, thank you for your insight. Good information. Um, the Happening in the Hamptons podcast is sponsored by New York Title Abstract, the Hamptons' leading title insurance firm. Visit NewYorkTitle.com or TitleInsurance.com. That's all we have this week. Except. Except one more thing for Michael. If you need a house built, Burns Realty Development Corp. That's Look right. at my website. <laughs> Thanks right. very much, everybody. Thanks for joining us. That was great. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Dowd, and that is what's happening in the Hamptons.